We are now in Amos chapter 3. We find that at this point in Israel's history, that in fact Israel is uh, quite well developed and prosperous, and if you will, in its heyday, and just doing uh, wonderfully miraculous in the sense of their prosperity and blessings, as they would call it. They're making not only big houses for themselves in the city, they're also making big houses for themselves out by the lakes. And so they have summer homes and winter homes and luxurious wealth. Now, at the same time, there's a poor class developing that seems to be ignored by those who are gaining the wealth. And God is calling to Israel to shape up that not only is Israel blessed of God, they are to be a blessing, as God said to Abraham. That not only will I bless you, but you are to be a blessing to others. And Israel was not blessing others. What was happening is Israel was becoming very self-centered, self-focused. But they thought since they were prosperous, they were blessed of God. But in fact, they were not loving mercy, loving justice, uh, doing, walking justly and loving mercy. They were simply just loving prosperity and blessing. And so God had this against them. And so God called forth a man named Amos, who was not from the religious school of the prophets, not trained by them. But in fact, he was a sheep herder and in fact, an agriculturalist. He grew fig trees And so he knew and understood the heart of a shepherd and how to cultivate and prune uh, those agricultural products that would produce more fruit. God called a man like him to come and speak to Israel because of its position and place that it had taken. It exchanged godly compassion now for selfish and decadent existentialism. Existentialism is a sense of self-awareness and nothing else. It's an I, me, my generation. It's a group of people who only concerned themselves with their feelings and their well-being and not the care of others. You might compare it to 21st century America, being so prosperous and well and concerned only of our own comfort. And so if you'll remember from last week, God sent Amos to be the prophet to speak to the nation. And in chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, he said, These are the four things I have against you. He said that you buy and sell people so that you can have new sandals. So they, they cared more about the comforts of their wardrobe than they did the poor around them. He says, Secondly, you grind the poor into the dust under your feet and you don't care. They're... You're not walking with justice and you're not walking with mercy. You are walking with self-conceit. And there are people in need all around and you're not paying attention. And thirdly, he says, the fathers and sons sleep with the same women. There's such a sexual perversion and pervasiveness that parent and child share their sexual exploits. Fourthly, he said, you wear clothes that you are in debt for and you drink wine that you pay with money you stole. And so imagine a nation where people don't care one for another, but only care for their wardrobe and their outfits. They spend money by credit beyond what they have so that they can say they are blessed. 
Their sexual perversions are so great that it's common in the household and it doesn't offend the right or righteousness of the society. And he says, this is a problem, Israel. Now, if you'll remember, the reason that we are studying the book of Amos is not just to consider the historical context, but in fact to consider our historical context and to know that God is calling us to be Amos's, to have the spirit of Amos upon us as prophets in this day and this hour to speak to God's people, the church, in its condition that it's in. This is no different than the Laodicean church who in their prosperity thought they were blessed of God. If you'll remember in Revelation chapter 3, they had an attitude that we are blessed and prosperous. We have fine clothes, the big church, great worship. But Jesus walked among them and said, you are blind, naked, wretched, and poor. Spiritually. We can have all the outward trappings that look wonderful, but we can be dry and dead internally. And so he says, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I'll have to spit you out for the purposes I've established you for. Lukewarmness, he said, I'd rather have you hot or I'd rather have you cold. Now the difference between hot and cold and lukewarm is the effort involved. For something to be hot, it needs to be activated and warmed up. For something to be cold, it needs to be activated and cooled down. It sets itself apart from the room temperature or the temperature of the environment that it's in. When the church becomes the same temperature as the environment it's in, when we become the same as righteously as our own society, we've become lukewarm and no longer profitable to the kingdom of God. God is calling His church to again be hot or cold and to separate, come out from among them, says the Lord, that we would become the righteousness of God for a nation round about us. Amen? And that's what God's calling us to. And so he, anytime he disciplines those he loves, he has to make them aware of it. Now here's the thing with Israel. Uh, at this time, they're kind of like this. Jesus says, hear me, O Israel. You're not paying attention like a bratty little child. You're just not paying attention. And so in chapter 3, he says, hear me. Now, he says this over and over throughout the Old Testament. And in Hebrew, hear me is Shema. Shema, O Israel, Shema. Now, we know the great Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you must hear this of who the Lord is. And so he beckons to his people once again. He says, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. He's saying, paraphrasing it, you alone have I cherished and nurtured and loved out of all the families of the earth so I could set you up to prepare the nations to receive Messiah. And I've nurtured you, and I've loved you, and I've made you my special child. And because I have, I have to discipline you. Honey, you're going to get a spanking. You need a spanking. 
You need to get corrected. And I have to tell you, I honestly believe that the church in America needs a spanking. God loves us. He loves his people. Now remember the man he sent to do this job. And it's the heart that we have to have when we're sharing this move of God for today. As you're sharing it with your friends and, and those round about you, your loved ones, and even strangers and folks that are brothers and sisters in the Lord, as we begin to share what God is doing and what God's moving in the earth, we have to have an Amos spirit, one who is a shepherd. He doesn't want to scatter the sheep. A shepherd tends the sheep. He cares for the sheep. Sometimes he has to break the legs of the sheep and put it around his neck so that sheep will learn his voice and he'll carry it close to him. There are times that in the rebuke you draw closer than the Lord to the Lord. I remember times when I would have to spank my kids and I remember the change that took place. When I would give them a spanking and they would cuddle and they would come near and they wanted to be so close to you because they didn't want to be a disappointment. They recognized they went too far and they wanted to draw back near. Discipline always has the aspect of maturity and learning. It's not abusive. It's not abusive. Discipline is different than that which is trying to um, chastise and break a spirit. Paul even warns of that. Don't break your children's spirit, but to discipline. And that's what the Lord wants to do by sending Amos, one who will cultivate maturity and will not scatter the sheep, but bring them back to God as a shepherd, and that's what an Amos heart is. We can very easily criticize the church, but let's not have a critical spirit. Let's have a shepherding spirit, one that says, come on, I think God wants to do something in the church. Would you hear? You see, and so Israel had this attitude of their special little baby. (laughs) I'm special. God's not going to hurt me. God's not going to do anything. Besides, I'm blessed. I have everything I need. What Amos' job was, was to let them know, you're going to get a spanking. Now, how many of you remember that a warning could sometimes change the outcome? Right? You talk to little Johnny, you keep acting up like that, you're going to get a licking. Right? And little Johnny knows you'll follow through with your word. So Johnny changes his attitude. That's what Amos is doing. That's what prophecy is about. That's what the prophet was sent for. We talked about Jonah last week. You remember? When the prophet comes forward, he gives the word of correction and he says that God needs to discipline. And if you don't change, he's coming. And you can change with that. I mean, the temperament of each of our children is different. There's one of the, my children that I would say, you know, you better shape up or you're going to get a spanking. And guess what? Boom, they shaped up. Don't want no spanking. Then after a, a couple other kids had different ideas with that. But a prophetic word is not to destroy, it's to build up. You've got to understand Father's heart in prophecy and why he sent the prophets, and why specifically he sent Amos. And for us as a people, why we have to consider ourselves in this as the spirit of Amos and to prophesy 
and to speak. Jesus said to the Laodicean, Laodicean church, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And, then he, and that wasn't talking about losing salvation. That was talking about I'm going to have to bench you till I can get you right. Because he follows up with the statement, I discipline those whom I what? Love. Love. Have you ever seen undisciplined children? God wants a mature people. And the church in America today is undisciplined. We're undisciplined. We don't obey the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't stand in righteousness apart from the world. And as Amos would say, uh, pay attention. Something's coming. Now, if you'll follow with me in Amos chapter 3, we'll look at verses 3 through 6, and we see that Amos is a very creative person. And so what Amos has to do is develop an argument or a discussion or a presentation so that the people who are listening will get it. Now, that's the key to good communication. It's not enough to spit out Bible verses at people. It's not enough to yell at people. We can all be righteous and high-minded and say, Hallelujah, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're in sin and you're wrong. You're bad. Turn or burn. <laughs> Eloquent. You're really reasoning with the people. What is this? Who communicates like this? Who talks like that? Our goal is to have a spirit of Amos and begin to dialogue in such a way that the audience we're speaking to will respond. And so he says this. He begins to use similes. Now, those are phrases that liken the, the message of what he's trying to say in word pictures so that his people will get it. And so he says this. Hey, can two people walk along on the same road and get where they need to go if they don't agree? You know, you can't, right? I mean, it, it, it beckons for an answer. And so when we talk to people, let's ask them some questions. Many times, instead of being so confrontational, a question will get more done than a command. And so when we're talking to people, search out their hearts, but invite them in that search. Ask them, when you're asking a question, to evaluate their own heart. Do you really think that that's what the Lord would have you do? Is this the right reaction from the Word of God? It's not, a, it's not then putting yourself higher than someone. It's simply asking them to evaluate. Hey, can two people uh, get to this destination if they don't agree where they're going? Obviously not. What's his point, Israel? Are you in agreement with God? Are you headed in the direction that God wants you to be headed in? Are you walking in agreement with God? The obvious answer would be what? No. They simply have to evaluate themselves. He goes on and he says this. He says, does a lion roar in the thicket when he has no prey? Does he growl in his den when he has caught nothing? No. When does a lion roar? When he's catching his prey and when he caught it. Roar. That's when a lion roars, right? Okay. So Israel, can I tell you something? The lion is roaring. What does that mean? He's coming. He's coming. And you'll see this reference to the lion over and over in Amos. And he says, the lion has roared and God has spoken. What does that mean to a people of God? Dad's home. Right? Wait till your father gets here. 
The lion is roaring. He's here. So when does a lion roar? When he sees his target. And Israel, you better understand something. I can hear the lion roaring. He goes on and he uses another simile. And he says this. He says, does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when no snare has been set? Does a trap spring up from the earth when there is nothing to catch? Now, you see, a trap doesn't go chunk like that or catch anything until something triggered it. And what he's saying to Israel is, your sin has set your own trap. The trap's been released, and your sin has found you out. You've set your own snares by the things you're doing and the wickedness that you're walking in and the sinfulness. You've set your own trap, and it's already sprung. You're caught in it. Oh. And so it's easy to tell people they're caught in their sin. But you've got to do it in a way that they'll receive it. How many of you remember Nathan the prophet, prophet who went to David? He's got to go to the king and tell him, hey, buddy, you really blew it. Okay? What he has to do is he has to reason through his defenses and his justifications, which most of us have. And most church folks have for their condition that we're in spiritually in America. We've got our justifications. We've got our reasoning. But Amos put it in such a way that he could cut through to the heart and speak to people so that they could reason. You remember Isaiah chapter 6, 18? Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, I can make them as white as snow. Let's reason this out. Let's consider this. We have to care enough for people that we would dialogue with them, that we'll talk to them, that we'll persuade them. When Nathan the prophet came to David, he said, Hey, Dave, hey, uh, listen, we got a problem here. There's a guy that had one sheep, and another man came and took his one sheep. Now, he's appealing to David because David was what? a shepherd. Now he appeals to David's heart so David can respond to this. And David is a little upset by that story. He's caught off guard because it's taken out of the context of him and is put on the context of shepherding. And he says, oh, I was a good shepherd. He said, that man needs to be caught and brought to me right now, brought to justice for what he did. And Nathan said, thou art the man. Sold, bought, and paid for. Now that's what Amos is doing here. He's saying, hey, look it. Would a trap spring unless something flew and took the bait? We took the bait, Israel. We took the bait of Satan. And in our prosperity and in our wealth, we've forsaken justice and mercy for our own self-satisfaction. Well, Christ is saying that to the church in America. Christians, we took the bait. For self-indulgence and self-pleasure in the pursuit of happiness. It used to be life, liberty in the pursuit of happiness. We've left off life and liberty. We kill our babies in the womb. And liberty is a whole other question, but we do pursue happiness. God is speaking to us, and he's speaking to his church to rise up again. We've been caught in the trap. We took the bait. We've been snared by our own sin. 
and our own selfishness. So he uses that simile again to remind them. He then uses another one, a third one, typical of Hebrew poetry. Three times they repeat things. And now he says this, when a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Look at when the watchmen on the wall come out and they blow the shofar and the trumpet of alarm. What does that mean? Trouble's coming. Get ready. Trouble's coming. Get ready. We would be foolish to ignore an alarm. Would you agree? Right? Unless it's your smoke detector that you have too close to the stove. But if you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear that smoke alarm going, beep, 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 what are you going to do? Ah, roll over. And that's what Amos is trying to say. Can't you read the writing on the wall? That's a reference to the prophet Daniel. Can't you see that we're in a mess of trouble? That trouble is here? We have a problem. So when the watchman sounds the alarm and blows the trumpet in the city, we need to pay attention. So he's using these examples. I've heard the lion roar. He's near the prey. The bird is caught in the snare of his own sin. The watchman's blowing the trumpet. Trouble is on the way. And if this city collapses, it's because God has brought it to pass. Does God do that? Can God discipline us by allowing things to come to pass that he may even bring destruction? Yeah. Now look at verse 7 here. After he's given those examples, he drives it home and says this, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? See, so he's driving his point home. I am here to tell you, Amos says, that trouble is brewing over our national condition. And God, who loves us and loves his church, loves his people, needs to discipline us so we'll wake up and walk in righteousness. We've been caught in the snare of our own failure. God has challenged us to stay faithful, and we failed. I remember being in Russia in 1991 in Leningrad. It was before it switched the name to back to St. Petersburg. It was before the wall came down, and we were preaching and ministering in a communist country the gospel. And I remember speaking to some of the Christians there, and then they had been, uh, they were excited to hear what was brewing in Russia at the time, this, talking about the wall coming down and the church rising up and strengthening again. And in that discussion, they said, you know what? Russia has endured communism for 70 years. Communism has tried to destroy the church, but after 70 years, we beat it. And Christianity remained faithful. And so the test against Christianity under communism uh, could not be defeated, and the church is triumphant. And they asked the question, but what about America? You've not been tested with persecution or communism. You've been tested with prosperity. And the Russian church was, was praying for us that we would not fail the test of being prosperous. I sometimes think it's more difficult to stay faithful to God 
when you are blessed. And so this is the spirit we need to begin ministering in, the spirit of Amos with a shepherding heart, with one who will try to convince and persuade our brothers and sisters in the Lord that the sound of the alarm is echoing, that trouble is coming to the city and to the nation, that the lion has spoken and revealed it to his prophets, and we are those prophets Am I saying you're better or special than any other Christian? No, we're all prophets. For him who has an ear to hear what the Lord is saying, and I'm telling you what the Lord is saying, is he's roaring as a lion. Come away, my beloved, come away. Come out of her. Stop being lukewarm and come. And so we have a responsibility. And may I say, because I'm preaching this to you, you now are responsible to walk under the anointing of an Amos prophet, one who wants to shepherd people back to righteousness with God, who want to cultivate and to uh, 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 cut and prune each other's lives so that we would bring a nurturing spirit of Christ to the community we live in. That's what God is saying to us. Now what is amazing to me is if, would you look at verse 10? And it is such an amazing thing for Jesus for God to confess. And he says this in 3 verse 10. My people, he said, they do not know how to do right. Wow. They don't know how to do right. We have gotten ourselves so involved in our activities We think that what we do is right just because of who we are. And we forgot how to do right. Do you understand that picture I showed you of that bratty little girl? (laughs) Because she's the little queen of the house, it doesn't matter what she does, she always does right because she's daddy's girl. That's the attitude. And God is lamenting over his people saying, they don't even know how to act right. They think they're right. The church thinks it's right because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And that is true. But we don't and we are not acting right according to our birthright. It's time for us to begin acting righteously. It's put this way sometimes. Always do what is right, not what is easy. Someone once told me people are like water. We flow to the least resistance. We'll just go where there's the least amount of trouble. But that's not the righteous. The righteous don't do this. The righteous don't remain silent while they see evil. The righteous don't act and run to trouble because they'll get something out of it. They run to it because it is what is in their nature by God. While everyone else tries to protect themselves, the believers sacrifice themselves for righteousness' sake. Where there's trouble, we must run to it. This is knowing how to do right. It's not easy, but it's right. And that's the message of Amos. Israel, please hear me. Please consider The lion has roared. The trap has sprung. The sound of the alarm has been echoed. Respond now. 
What will you do? Will you listen to the voice of the Lord? I believe our nation is in this state. I believe we're in a place right now where it's pretty clear. And who's responsible? We are. There's no one else on earth that knows the rightness of God. People are lost, and in lostness, they are blind and deaf to God. There's only one people on this planet who know what is right. They're the only ones with the message to declare what is right. And if this nation is not hearing it, they can't do it. But we're busy with our church activities in the building. We love our praise. We love our worship. We love our activities. We love our things here. Jesus says, but you you forgot how to do what's right out there. We must go out there. And so God is calling for us to have the spirit and attitude of the prophet Amos. That we would know what to do and we would begin to present it in a way that would speak to the church so that they will begin to respond. It therefore means you and I must live it in our own lives first. We must learn what is right. We must practice what is right. We must live rightly. We must heed the alarm we hear. We must not allow our own sins to catch us in a snare. We must leave them. We must recognize that the the lion is roaring at your house. and Begin to walk in righteousness and then begin to walk with the spirit of Amos so that we can begin to speak unto them. Now I close with this. The Lord sends calamity on a city. There are times that the Lord will even send calamity to a city so that it will correct itself. We have this attitude that nothing bad will befall us because we have God. Sometimes the things that befall us are because of God. And we need a spanking. And we don't like it. And we pray to God that the pain would go away. And He's the one who sent it. Because we have to listen to what the Lord is saying. He did this in the early church in Jerusalem. How many of you remember that? He told the church, uh, all authority and power has been given unto me. Now therefore go and make disciples of all nations and all peoples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so where did they go? Nowhere. They stayed in Jerusalem. Do you remember this? So what did God do in the book of Acts in the first few chapters? It says God sent persecution to the church in Jerusalem. He spanked them. His own kids, because he doesn't want brats. And he spanked his own kids, and there was persecution. Guess what? Christians died. But see, this life isn't the whole thing that God is, is, it's not about this life. God doesn't mind some of his children dying and coming into his presence. He has no problem with that. He, he, he overcame death. But he sent persecution so that the church would repent and get out into the world where he commanded them to go. But it's not easy. It was easier to stay in the club. And he forced them out into the world and said, you now go. And the New Testament model is now in Antioch, not in Jerusalem. 
And the Antioch church was sending out people, and the Spirit said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas. And the Antioch church began to missions and outreach. They got the message, and they did something about it. Well, sometimes God sends calamity, and he sends leaders, and he sends folks so that a nation will wake up. And so in closing, I want to speak to you about something, and I'm sure that I might offend some and uh, may not offend others. I'll try to be fair in how many people I offend. But the, the, the theme of chapter 3 is can two walk together unless they be agreed? If we as a church cannot agree, how effective can we be? If we're not in agreement with God, how effective can we be? If we're not in agreement with one another, how effective can we be? And there is a problem that we can become lukewarm or the same temperature as the argument out in the world, and that has to do with our election that's coming up. There's division in the church, and there's division among us because we have political parties and political positionings and political personalities. And I have to warn you as a church and warn you as a people. Do not sanctify your vote to be something holy. Or your candidate, don't sanctify him. Because may I say that there is no one running for president that I think God uh, has his favor on. And so I think we have to unpack this for a minute and consider that we don't get caught up in the cult of personality that this election is causing. And, and so we want to be careful that we don't worry because on November 7th, when no matter who's in that White House, are we going to be divided over it? We cannot afford to be divided over this. And whether you vote for Romney or whether you vote for Obama, you voted for the wrong guy. You should be voting for Jesus Christ. And if you think one of those two fellas is going to fix America, you are deluded. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who is going to be our only hope. This is in the realm of the heavenlies and in the, in the, in the atmosphere of powers and principalities. Stay aligned to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, I really don't think either one of these guys is God's man. And I'll give equal time to each of them so they can't take away my 501c3 status. Be careful, again, about personality and getting caught up in this election to the particular person. Uh, Romney is a Mormon, but he is not just a casual Mormon. He is a Mormon high priest. And he has been schooled and taught for so many years, and there is a prophecy in Mormonism that says America will reach a place where the Constitution will hang by a thread, but a Mormon candidate will come, become president and restore America to its greatness and bring America under the theocracy of Mormonism. And so that's what's hiding around that corner. For Obama, he's been a president who has reversed uh, so much 
effort that we've tried to make against abortion, and he has brought it much further than it ever has to the place where he is now encroaching on the liberty and freedom of the church to make demands on the church that the church must allow birth control, and in fact, part of that birth control is abortion necessities, and he's demanding churches will get under the authority of the government. Secondly, he is pro-gay, and so he is for breaking and dissolving the biblical definition of marriage. So neither of these candidates are biblical. Can we get that right? Okay? And both of them, according to Scripture, are acting blasphemous in their standings, though the cult of personality makes them look appealing to you and me. Can I tell you, don't vote for the man. Don't vote for the man. You're going to have to vote for the party or the platform that you can stand on. You're going to have to make a decision as to what platform. If you think a man runs the country, you're missing it. But may I tell you that there is a third party that is at work in this nation greater than any Republican or Democrat, and it is the church. And when the church divides itself over Democrat and Republican, it has left its position on righteousness. So I know we've got to vote. You're going to have to make a determination. But I'm telling you, whoever gets in that White House is what the nation deserves, and we'll still be walking in correct relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'll work with whoever's in that office and pray that God's purposes will prevail. Amen? So be careful not to fall into the trap of divisiveness. And I want to share with you a closing illustration by A.W. Tozer. He said, if a man wants to tune a hundred pianos, he doesn't tune one piano and then tune the next piano to that piano and the next piano to that piano. He does not tune the pianos in unity with each other. He tunes every piano with a tuning fork. There is one authority that every piano is tuned to and not to each other. When every piano is correctly aligned with that pitch tuning fork, A440 vibration, then as every piano is tuned to the perfect pitch, all the pianos are in tune with each other. So, I'm here to encourage you that I know it's difficult with proposals and who, what platform you're going to side with and what issues you're going to discover and discern to vote for. Don't fall into the trap to think it's one man that's going to do the job. You do what you have to do to vote, but remember, God may bring calamity to a nation, but it's always Him who's in charge. It's always Him who's in control so that He will cause His people to respond properly. And if we're divided over the political issues of personality, we can't do what we've been called to do. 
So let's stay united, though whoever gets in that office, our purpose goes well beyond their four years and the next four years. Our purpose calls for this nation to come to repentance and come into righteousness. You have to cast your vote for you. You are the one who has to walk in righteousness. You're the one who has to save this nation. Didn't think of that, did you? Vote for you. Vote for the church. Vote for us to walk in the righteousness that God has called us to. And we will begin seeing our cities changed, our states changed, and our nations changed when Christians walk in righteousness. That's the message of Amos 3. Let's bow our heads.